Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. What's up, marketing besties? It's Aiden Brannigan back here, social media manager for the Marketing Millennials. Now, before you ask, where's Daniel? Don't worry, he's feeling a little under the weather, but I sent him some vitamin C packets. He's sitting outside soaking up the sun so he can be back ASAP. Anyways, let's get ready to dive into some throwback marketing wisdom from the pod. Because in this episode, we've gathered five top-notch content marketers to spill the tea on the one marketing idea they swear by. This time around, we're diving into the best takes. And we're starting off with Leslie Vanettes, whose spicy take is that cold calling isn't dead. She says that if you're not using it in your outbound approach, you're doomed to fail. That's bold. Now let's hear her reasoning. Wistia is a complete video platform that lets you make high quality videos fast right in your browser. Record your face and screen, use AI to write scripts, even add background music. Try Wistia for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. Cold calling is not dead, I think is the biggest one. Like not only is it not dead, but if you are not building at least two channels, preferably three into your outbound approach, and if you have three channels and one of them isn't cold calling, you simply are not doing what it takes to win in this environment. I love that. I also think, I just think the number one thing in just like marketing, and I even think like outbound is like the first goal is to get attention. Like the first goal is to get someone to like, you grab someone's attention and you have to be creative with cold calling. You have to be creative with email. You have to be creative with all these channels. But the first goal is to get attention. Once you've got attention, then you got to be, figure out ways to keep the attention. But people forget that part. It's like the first goal is like, hey, how am I going to get someone to grab their attention? Markers forget this a lot. Salespeople forget this a lot, but you have to get someone's attention first to be able to even sell them. And I think like creative ways, but also that's a great way to be like, okay, I sent an email and now I'm going to call. Maybe they won't answer, but I'll leave a voicemail that says, go check my email that I just sent you. So then they like prompt to. That's exactly it. Yeah. So you just have different lines of community. I think one of the the ways that like one of the data points that people will call out to invalidate the efficacy of cold call is just like, you know, connect rates or response rates to a call versus to an email or to a social touch point. But what you said is that's all of it, Daniel. Like, yes, would it be great if our prospect answered on the call? It sure would be. But I am not making phone calls because I think every single person is going to answer. I'm making phone calls because I'm then going to be able to leave a voicemail and I'm going to leave it in that same like LinkedIn message structure of about three sentences that are short and simple because I'm going to assume that even if they don't listen to it, they'll probably scan it on visual voicemail. And the purpose of the voicemail is not asking for a call back. I have not earned the right for that call back. The purpose is to point to another touch, that that LinkedIn, that video, that email, that draw, whatever it is, to point to another touch to increase the open rates, the reply rates, the click-through rates on those other, you know, those other touches on different channels. 
So it, it's all about giving our, like, of course, the attention piece that you mentioned, like 100%, but it's also about giving our prospects, like meeting them where they're at, like giving them an opportunity to find us and reply to us on the channel that works for them instead of being the type of seller that's like, well, I only do like then because like LinkedIn's what I'm really good at. So I'm just only a social seller. And it's like, that's fine. And that is something that did work when the economy was booming. But like reality check, the economy isn't booming anymore. The concept of inbound has never been tested during a proper like multi-month or multi-year recession. Like inbound is still a fairly new concept, all things considered, which people like, they don't get that. Like they don't get that helps not just popularize that concept, you know, in like 27, you know, or t- like 2007, 2008, like to just started happening around the last recession. So I think, you know, like don't be afraid to build other muscles and test other channels. And instead of making it about where you like to sell best, you know, maybe make a little bit of space to see where your customers like to engage with you best. Now on to our second take from one of my personal favorite marketers out there, Adrian Barnes. And she swears by building user personas, but not just any buyer persona, one that's backed by cold hard research. And she believes that companies need to talk to their customer base in order to truly succeed. I agree. Now, here's why. I will go back. It is the fact that um, buyer personas can be useful. Like they're not just a check the box marketing practice like they are used in so many organizations right now. Like the marketing hill I will die on is that your the output is only going to be as good as your process. So if you are saying this thing is crap, that means your process to create it was crap the entire time. So, you know, making sure that you have a solid process for research, for understanding your buyers, that's like number one. And that is actually going to impact every single thing you touch in marketing and in product. You know, if you're not actually talking to the people who are using, reading, learning, engaging with your stuff, you know, you're kind of creating in just this little bubble that, you know, you think you're probably doing well or, you know, you're watching different metrics and things like that. You're not actually hearing from the horse's mouth, quote unquote, like I'll put that in quotes, but like you're not hearing from your own buyers. So making sure that you have a solid process for doing really good research and analysis is going to improve so many things in both marketing and product for sure. I love I love it. Stand by. I stand by buyer personas. I think I think they're I mean, I've changed my view over the time, like just because I've seen good and bad. So like I've gone flip flopped and I'm like, oh, at this organization, they're useless. That doesn't mean like they're useless in, in general. If you're investing any amount of your marketing dollars into your marketing efforts without talking to your customers first, that's a massive mistake. There's so many brands who just assume they know who their audience is without talking to them at all. And we both know what assuming does. I won't say it because my mom's probably listening. But anyways, I couldn't agree more with the next hill from Kaylee Edmondson of Demand Loops. Let's go see what she had to say. I think there's still something that's like not spoken about enough about the power of being close to your customers. It's incredible to me the amount of marketers that I talk to that have never stepped outside of their traditional lanes and are just like spending and deploying crazy amounts of dollars, media resources, etc., running all of the advertisement, putting together messaging and positioning for their company, 
but have never talked to their customers. So I think that might be like my most current hill to die on is the power and influence of being close to your customers. That should be your competitive advantage in this market. Do you think it was easier for you to make a transition, like say for Chili Power to Refinance, because you deeply understood marketers as the audience? Like, because I also give a lot of credit to marketers who go into industries that are just like completely crazy and they're and they trying to come up with messaging and understand, let's say, an IT professional or like a, it's such a hard job. Like, it's I give such so a much hard credit. Job. So I always say, like, if I were to build a social presence again and I was doing for an IT audience, I probably couldn't do the same amount of work unless I got into the role and talked to a bunch of people all the time and gone in these communities and understood them. I would not be able to do the same thing uh, as I'm doing now because I. It's such a good point. So, like, fun fact I actually didn't go directly from Chili Piper to Refine. I actually left Chili Piper to join an ed tech company to do that same thing because I've spent the majority of my career marketing to marketers. And I have two young children um, that are in early education themselves. This was a SaaS company that's selling into the early ed space. Primary buyers were um, preschool owners, operators, directors, administrators, like that persona, which was completely foreign to me. So yeah, like the first 30-day ramp when I was at Brightwheel was all about figuring out who our customers were, having lots of conversations with them. I developed like a couple of repeatable questions that I really wanted to get deep with with our customers so I could understand like who these people are, where they spend their time, why they bought us, what they love, what they don't love, how they talk, I think was the most important thing. I found myself writing like copious notes about the messaging and phrasing that they use because it was truly so foreign to me and not the way that I would have described our own product. So yes, I think there's like definitely a leg up marketing to marketers. We It is a a nice bubble because we do get each other and understand a little bit better pain points and solutioning. But I do think that there's still a, a method to the madness if you're a marketer not marketing to marketers. I also think one of the unspoken benefits of dark social and doing the podcast and social and all this stuff is doing inherently doing customer research and getting closer to the customer because if you're doing these events these virtual events these podcasts the start social that's where you're going to get people who are lowering their corporate shell and talking like they would talk to a human being so it's so hard to measure this as a but it, when i started doing podcasts and stuff i heard started hearing how people speak that i would never have thought like sra value like i hearing Chris and you talk about it, I would never have known that if I didn't like listen and seen it on social or hear hear you talk. Um so that's why I just wanted to make that point that the benefits of dark social or doing creating demand is not only, hey, I'm gonna bring revenue in the door, it's getting closer to the customer, like you said earlier, as your deal that you would die on. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And I think that even taking a step further, the feedback loop is real. Forming those connections and building that network is like, I know I have like a lot of chili paper examples, but we did a lot of cool stuff there. Building those networks and like starting to have those conversations one off is actually what helped us fuel building our customer advisory board, which was another huge unlock for all of our personas. Without us like connecting, making those connections and building those relationships, we probably would have never formed a cab 
which was one of the biggest drivers of developing feedback for our product roadmap for the actual app itself. So there's lots of levers that come off of just like starting the conversation and whether you're whether your conversation is with a marketer that, you know, maybe talks and prioritizes the same skill set as you, or if it's somebody that's far outside of your traditional lane, lots of like downhill benefits from just starting the conversation. Hey, marketers, listen up. Wistia is my best kept secret for creating videos for your business. You can record and edit videos right in your browser and even use their AI to write your script. With Wistia, you can record your face and screen for videos like sales pitches or product demos. And the video editor is pretty much foolproof. Seriously, you've got to check it out. Start creating videos for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash millennials. Direct response marketing can sometimes be extra and copywriter Cardinal Mason isn't a fan. His hot take? Direct response marketing isn't likable and people want to buy from brands they like. So here's what he had to say. I am really not a fan of direct response marketing. Like really not. I have had more clients that have come to me saying, my email list is dead. No one listens to me. Nobody buys anymore. The whole list is burnt out. I need your help to revive this thing. I've had more of those than people that say, I need a direct response copywriter to come in, write a 30 email sequence to send over the course of 20 days and get as many sales in this 30 day period as we, or 20 day period as we can. And this is actually a, a great video. If anyone wants to watch this, Alex Ramosi did this. I promise I had this thought before him. <laughs> I'm not just like ripping all of his content, but like he said something along the lines of, oh, I can't remember it now, but it was like direct response will get you rich, but not wealthy. And just going back to what you said about how you need to sort of give before you can ask, direct response is sort of like sneaky ask before you give anything. And brand marketing, which is kind of what we do, doesn't matter if we're working for like an e-com brand or a SaaS company, or like we're working with a charter bus company now, like so weird. Like who would think that they need email? But you give, 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 and then you ask. And the results are always better. Even if you don't make, you know, if you don't hit quota right away, you are building a relationship with that individual customer and they're going to remember you and people buy from people they like. And direct response is not very likable. I think a lot of times there's an exception. There's a couple of people that do this really well and it does exist on a spectrum. Like you can be more or less direct response, but I do think that the people who are more direct response are at high risk of burning their email list out. And then some poor founder is gonna hit my DMs and be like, dude, what do I do? You know what I mean? My theory on that is the skill of direct response marketing is an amazing skill to learn because it teaches you how to hook a human in the few seconds that you do. But I don't think it needs to be in every freaking email that you write and every freaking piece of copy ad that you put out there. I think that's the problem is I think so many people have these 12 month windows where they have to make as much money as they want and don't care about, which I, we could talk about next, but like the long-term brand play of like in 10 years, they don't think in 10 years, what will my email list look like if I ask people for 10 years for stuff and never give them anything. They think about, what could happen in the next two months to pump up my revenue? 
And that's all they think about. And that's a lot of marketers do that today. I've been in so many situations where we were down and I used to be in marketing auto automation and be and run emails and for SaaS companies and we'll be down let's say 20k in revenue and they're like let's just spam the email us to get pump up the the numbers and it's, i'm like dude no it's gonna ruin our brand if we do that and they don't think about that they just think about that number that they need to hit that month now we saved the best for last year on the marketing millennials podcast and this last marketing hill comes from the man the myth the legend adam ryan the co-founder of workweek and his simple marketing take the best marketing is just something that captures someone's attention. The best marketing, no matter what, is just something that captures people's attention. We get so caught up in how does it look? What is the impact? And ultimately, like marketing is about capturing attention. You, you can always optimize after that. But like the very best marketers just know how to capture attention and do it really, really well. It's one of the few things you can't fake. It's one of the few things you can't buy. If you're a great marketer and you can capture attention, then you're one of the best out there. And everything else is just optimization. And uh, to me, when I think about how I like to think about marketing is like start at the very beginning. Everyone likes to talk about conversion rates or, or this, and, but it's like start at the very beginning. How are we going to capture their attention? And that's where creativity and all that good stuff comes in. And, and those are the best marketers. I think so many people just overcomplicate like what the goals of marketing is. And if you did not capturing someone's attention is the first thing, you're not going to get anybody. And a lot of people get into orgs where attention is already like implied because they built brand and they built all these things. But it's like when you're starting from zero, every little asset you create, whether it's content or an ad or anything in marketing is just the first goal is is someone going to read it or someone going to consume it? Is someone going to do something with it? I think there's like the other hill I would die on is like brand has never mattered more because attention's being taken for granted because like Facebook advertising and all these like scalable ways to like capture conversion. But to me, the people that are capturing the best type of attention are the best marketers and brand has never mattered more to actually distinguish yourself there and investing in that up front, Like, if, if I was a marketer and I was like, God, I just like don't know my brand guidelines that well, or if I was a founder, like just getting company started or whatever, and you don't like feel amazing about your brand, you're going to want to change it 12 months, 18 months on the road. But if you don't feel amazing about your brand right now, neither do your customers. And all of your KPIs are going to get better when you have a great brand. And so those are kind of the two things that I'd, I'd lean into. I think people get confused about like brand marketing and brand. You have to know your why and what your purpose and your passion and what you, how people should feel about you before you can even go to market to do something. I think that's brand. A lot of people think of brand as like, okay, we're doing these brand activations or we're like, it's the website, but it starts with like the philosophy of like, who are we in going in the market? Who, how do we want people to feel? Who the the competitors in the market that we're trying to be different from? Um, how are we different? Like, what's our only statement? Like, what could we do only do better than yep. everybody else? I think a lot of people think of it as, it is a big exercise, but it's, it's so important to know your why. So everybody knows what they're 
Well, and the later that you do that, the harder it is to do it because you're like, oh, well, that kind of conflicts with this and that, you know, we already said this and we've done that before. And we have this ad that like does really well, but that's not like meeting the brand guy. Like it's so hard to create like what brand guideline, what a great brand has is constraints. And, you know, when I worked at Red Bull, I just was amazed with the constraints that they put on the brand. Like it was like, hey, you are never to do anything with a can that is crushed. You can't ever show anything with a can that's crushed. That was a constraint. You can't ever put a can near trash or a bathroom. The wings team, the people that drive around the Mini Coopers, you can't ever just reach back here to get it out of the backpack. You have to have someone reach or go behind you and grab that. And everything was about creating this like premium experience that they created constraints for. And if you don't have a brand with like really good constraints early, later everybody's going to be bouncing all over the place and doing a bunch of different things so then when you create constraints people are going to be like yeah but i do this thing outside of that so like can we not have that and now it's really tough to like nail it and so earlier you do it the better um because it allows you to have like ultimate creativity within those constraints it helps people focus um and i th- i mean dave giroway says like the best marketing has guardrails like to, like what you just said was constraints i think like you have to have some operating parameters. Otherwise, you just could, what you just said, you could be all over the place with your marketing. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.